To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I'm back on my good buddy Dylan Ness. So this will be the final podcast of the year, and I couldn't think of a better guest to close it on. Uh, Dylan and I have become good friends over the last handful of years. I just really like this guy as a human being, as a outdoorsman. He's just um, such a great bow hunter, uh, such great insight, and he's he's out there grinding like we are on on public ground, uh, draw tags, and um, he works tirelessly on his skill sets, trying to improve him, his shooting, his stalking, and uh, he's just a riot to hang out with. I, I had the, uh, the good fortune of sharing a couple adventure hunts with him this year. He was there when I killed my early season buck, and um, Man, I just uh, always pulling for this guy's success, but he he just makes for such a great conversation and great podcast. So uh, thanks again to that guy's always willing to jump on the podcast. I can shoot him a text and say, "Hey, let's jump on the podcast tomorrow morning," and and he's always there for me. So such a good friend to me, such a great bow hunter, and uh, this will make for a great podcast. So we just get on and um, hit record and get chatting about what we love, and that's uh, bow hunting. Uh, we talk about our season. And, um, yeah, it's just, just made for a great conversation, great podcast. I know I really enjoyed it and, uh, I think you guys will enjoy it too. I want to thank my sponsors for today's show. I actually want to thank all my sponsors. Like, uh, these are the companies that put their money behind the properties that they, that they want to be associated with. And so, you know, to have these guys step up, like podcast is a new media platform, uh, it's only a handful of years old, like we've been doing this podcast now seven or eight years. So to have these companies believe in me and put money into the podcast and me believe in the the product that we're putting out just means the world to me. And, you know, it allows me to work on the podcast and make sure that I get you guys an episode each and every week. So I can't thank these guys enough. Uh, if you guys are in the market for any of the gear that they provide, make sure to go check them out and at least try out what they have or look at what they have. And, and weigh it as an option. And, um, you know, it really brings weight to the podcast when you guys support these companies. And also when you guys support guests, you know, if you see them on social media, reach out and say, hey, I heard you on Eastman's Elevated. And, and same thing with these companies, you know, you can tell them where you heard about us from. And, um, and like I say, it, it helps bring weight to the podcast. And um, I just really appreciate you guys and appreciate these companies. So make sure to go check them out if you're in the market. So uh, just want to thank them real quick. Everly Stock, Cryptech, Matthews, Savage, Sig Sauer, Zamberlin, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Cutter Stabilizers, Forever Barnwood, Onyx Maps, Outdoor Edge, Stone Glacier, Swagger Bipods, Vector Custom, Black Ovis, and also Camo Fire. So thanks to those guys for all their support, and thank you guys. Uh, we do have a promo code to Black Ovis. It's Elevated10. That'll save you 10% on your order. Uh, I also want to thank Eastman's for their support and belief in the podcast and uh, everything they do. Um, man, they're just always supporting me, whether it's uh, 
uh, writing or filming or podcast, uh, the, the mule deer course, like uh, they just entertain my ideas and run with them. And so uh, really proud to be a part of that crew and um, got to get some of those guys back on the podcast. I'm going to make a run over to the office and then we have the, the Western Hunting Expos coming up. Uh, January 12th, going to do some live recordings there, and so get to hang out with those guys there as well. So make sure to stop in and say hi if you're at the expo too. Uh, really appreciate all you guys in support of the podcast. So, man, um, just uh, working uh, on my house. <laughs> it's like my life's work. Um, it's coming close. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, you know, I don't know when I'll be done, whether that's two weeks, three weeks, whether that's four weeks, five weeks. And, you know, I definitely like have a bunch to do. I've got to finish the outside as well and uh, landscaping and garage. But the big push right now is to get me and my family in. And it's coming out so good. Like, I'm so proud at uh, this house and, and um, the work I've put into it. And uh, I just can't believe me and my family are going to get to to live in it. It's such a nice place. So, um, man, so proud of that. I can't wait to get in it and, uh, just pushing hard to the finish. I think I've got, I don't know, 30, 40 days in a row. I, um, it's just been hundred hour weeks, so I still have my sanity just barely holding on, but, uh, still managing everything right now. Uh, it's tough with these long work weeks. Uh, I did take, what did I take? Christmas morning off and that was tough. I went to work for a little bit and then took Christmas dinner off. But, yeah, it's been um, 30, 40 days straight, something like that. Just pushing real hard to the finish. Uh, it's going to be worth it in the end. And, um, man, 2023 is going to be wild. I mean, um, definitely had to put a lot of effort into this place this year and, and uh, made the best, had a bunch of great adventures. And 2022 was a great year for me. But um, it's going to be a wild 2023 to get into this house and um, take a little less work and just focus on um, on fishing and hunting and living life and being happy is going to be pretty fun. So I can't wait. I'm going to go on some wild adventures and I'm going to capture it on the podcast and um, talk about it and then... Um, you know, also be uh, in a really good headspace as well. Uh, just going to try to live life to the fullest. So um, this is a huge step for me, huge step for my family. So I'm really glad I did it. And um, man, just want to finish strong here. So with that, let's get into this podcast. There is a little bit of house talk in there, I'm sure, as it's just um, it's just uh, sharing what's going on with my life. But uh, it was a great conversation with Dylan. Really like this guy. And um, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. <laughs> all right it's now. going again jesus christ you gotta uh restart the old dinosaur of a computer boy she doesn't like to go it's kind of like a old truck <laughs> oh that's so funny dude <laughs> oh at least you caught oh, it yeah well so uh five minutes in um yeah Gosh, we were just talking about bows and how they hold their tune and throughout season and the the warm and the cold and then also, you know, the the wet and the snow. And then you were talking about you in the shop, about your strings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was saying I get some of those aftermarket strings that I, I really like kind of midway through the summer and just shoot them in. And then I rock them throughout the season. And then, you know, like we do, just hunt through the hot, cold, wind, rain, snow. And uh, during September um, – it rained pretty hard for like three days and I just kept hunting and I don't, 
I mean, maybe I should, I don't know, but I don't use one of those string covers or anything, you know, for your bow. Well, I just go on hunting all about, you know, go about my business, whatever. Um, well, I go into the shop and then this is after season and I'm shooting and I'm like, gosh, this kind of feels, this doesn't feel like 75 pounds anymore. And, uh, I kind of have that fluorescent orange string. Well, in this manufacturer's strings, come to find out, uh, if you get them with the dye in them, uh, the rain and snow, so the moisture can stretch them out. And I went from 75 pounds down to 68 pounds. And what was so weird is throughout the season, I had, you know, I was shooting whenever I was just doping my bow back in kind of at camp or at lunch, you know, I was like 60 and in or whatever. So I didn't notice it a whole lot. Uh, but I, I made a few adjustments, but yeah, had to crank her all the way back up to 75 pounds because those strings stretched. And so what I learned is what the guys told me at the shop is that if you go with natural or ghost strings, uh, they're less likely to have any sort of stretch at all due to something with the dye. So yeah, it was just kind of interesting. So the, this next set of strings that I ordered, I ordered them ghost, which is like just how they come without any dye in them. So, huh? kind of weird but I just don't know what you don't know you know <laughs> wild yeah yeah but. learning stuff all the time as we go and it's that's what like hanging out in a shop and hanging out with good shooters will teach you you just pick up things you know i know you know uh i mean i'm always working on my archery game but i used to shoot quite a few leagues and um I remember shooting with those good shooters. Like you just go up and shoot every week with them and you just start talking about stabilizers or strings or the hold or something in the shot execution. And, um, seems like you can, seems like you do. It just makes you a better archer. You just pick up things and, and two, you know, shooting with guys that are better than you, uh, brings your own level up, which is a good thing as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and in, in the shop here in town, I mean, gosh, there's, I mean, just the guys that work there, I mean, are outstanding, you know. I mean, Rob's won Vegas before, Tate Morgan, he shoots on USA, Josh Off, you know, and then there's just local guys that are just absolute killers. So, no, it's it's a pretty cool environment, and it's it's just like, you know, back in the day going and hanging out in the fly shop, but now I go hang out in the archery shop all the time, and then it's, it de- you definitely you just keep your ears open and listen. And talk with those guys. It's there's just little nuggets all the time, which is pretty cool. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I um, you keep wax on your string. You know, I do it. I, I wax it at the very beginning, and then I usually don't touch it unless it gets a little bit frayed or anything like that. But you know, that's why I ask those guys too. Some of them wax their string, some of them don't. Um, I wax it usually once. And that's it. I, uh, do you? Uh, yeah, I wax mine. Um, yeah, I ran into that same thing with really good archers that don't wax their strings and um, mm-hmm. don't like to add that to their strings. But, yeah, I like a good coating of wax and seems like I get more life out of the string and doesn't seem to mess with my shooting too much. But, um, yeah, we're, you know, it's just using our gear, using our bows you know, using our trucks, like, uh, when you, when you use it a bunch, you know, not that you can't take care of it and do maintenance on it, but we're tough on it. You know, it's like, uh, it has mm-hmm. to withstand a lot of abuse to make it through one of our seasons. Oh, so much abuse. And like where you were talking before, uh, when you had to restart before I was like recording. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before you recorded. The, uh, you know, like that stand, I loved that stand for Matthews, that one on the limbs. And I used it during bear season. Well, my bow damn near took a tumble down the, down the mountain, you know, it's like I sat it, set it down and I'm like, okay, this one, this is, I, I see how this is super legit. And 
applicable for for someone else but for me it's like in the wind on the steep all that i'm like i'm gonna somersault this thing down the mountain all season if i keep using it so it went straight into my pack it's and i love it for shooting in the garage or at home outside but yeah i just couldn't use it in the field for me it just me personally yeah, i you know i tried the same thing i tried to use it and um yeah, I, like I saw some benefits. Like it's really nice to store your bow while you're glassing. You can set it there. It's easy to grab. It's nice if you're stalking an animal. You can set your bow in front of you and it stands up and waits on you there, you know, like in position. But I'm with you out west and all the winds we have and the uneven terrain. It just seemed like it gave my bow a place to blow over in the wind or, you know, or you just don't quite get it set stable in the uneven terrain and all of a sudden it – it blows over, but you know, uh, uh, they're made to withstand abuse. I haven't broke anything yet in the 10 tumbles it's taken. Like they do have to be tough, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can't really use it either. I just, uh, I think I'm safer to just set it on the ground. Although then you got to watch your buddy stomping <laughs> around, right? Because they can, <laughs> yeah. they can trip over your bow or something like, uh, it is that one piece of gear that you always have to keep your eye on kind of like a rifle or anything. It's like, Man, you knock that thing off, you're not going to be much good anywhere. All that effort's going to go for naught. Yeah, yeah, that's no doubt. I need to come up with a better system for the back of the pickup, you know, uh, traveling. I think you and I, well, Dan, too, I, I think everybody. It's hard when you're piling into the pickup, you know, antelope hunting, whatever, changing spots, even just traveling down the road. I don't have a good system for the back of the pickup to storm a bow. And, like, yeah, I probably should get a bow case, but... I don't know. It's just, I just don't do it. But anyways, yeah, I just need, that always scares me too. So I always make sure to shoot when we get there, you know, and then, oh yeah, but you're, you're only as good as that thing. That thing holds together. Yeah. Uh, we do kind of just chuck it in the back seat, never use cases. And for the most part, they do good. You have to like watch out for the string and like what can rub against anything or what can fall over. I mean, for the most part, I mean, I mean, almost a hundred percent. Mine's always keep safe, yep. you know. Hardly ever do you do you do anything. But yeah, um, you know, like the my my buddy Robin, uh, he's got a good system. Robin and Sean, they have a good system. Like when you roll more than two guys, you don't have the back seat open. So then, what do you do? You chuck your bow in the back of the truck, which works as long as it's in a good spot. But they have this system that sits on like the back of their front seat. So it sits on the hmm. back of their front seat, and then it's got like a like a pocket that you stick your top cam in that goes in that pocket that sits snug to your seat. And then there's like a piece that goes around the headrest. Um, you can use like a bungee cord, or I think it can come with a little snap piece, and you snap it in. So your bow just rides tight to the to the front seat on the back of it, you know. And then you can actually sit somebody behind you, and that bow's safe. And so. You know, with the driver's side and the passenger side, you can have a bow sitting in either spot. And they're fairly inexpensive, sure. like, um, like, yeah, I don't know, 40, 50 bucks, something like that. But, yeah, I, oh, I'm going to get organized and get a couple of those for my truck. I think those would be <laughs> handy for sure. No doubt. Yeah, I didn't even know there was such a thing. I, um, Yeah, I need to get on and look that up. That's legit. That would be that – just, that's just one of those things that takes the uh, – the the worry of you know hitting a big bump or whatever takes that out of the equation if you have a system like that yeah 
Well, and we do so much hunting out of our trucks and, you know, it's, you know, now that I'm moving and purging all my stuff and doing this new garage, man, I'm going to work so hard to, to organize it the best I can, you know, with shelves and bins and labels and, you know, just like really <laughs> try to be uh, a touch more organized with my gear. And that goes for my truck, too, like um, hanging out with those Australia guys like, man, they go all out on their trucks. Like, I mean, they were telling me they've got a, a fridge inside and a, like I can't I can't even remember all the stuff they have. But, you know, an inverter in the back fridge in the back. They've got cold drinks. They they do the same style hunting as we do, like out of our trucks where you're living at it. Because I really do a lot of hunting that way. Like it seems, you know, my trips are half and half from backpack to truck hunts. And even a lot of the truck hunts, I'll leave for a couple days backpacking. But still, it's like just spending that time and getting real set up and organized. And um, our our camping leaves a little bit to be desired. Like uh, <laughs> yeah. we, we run a... We, oh man, like we run a mobile system and so this is like this adopted system and it depends on the weather where we're headed. But, you know, for us guys that we hunt with, like we like to spend the majority of our time hunting. So we don't set up a big camp. Like half the time we're just laying on canvas and we throw it in the truck at the end of the night or if it's going to rain, may set up a small tent. But we don't really spend a bunch of time setting up and cleaning up camp because we never know where we're going to be. And we spend all our time hunting for bucks or hunting for whatever it is. And I really like our style of hunting. And we do have like camp stuff where it's easy access in the truck with a cooler or pull out a bin and then I've got a stove, I've got the pan I use, I've got a spatula, we've got, you know, everything to make burritos or make burgers or make whatever we're going to make. But a guy could spend more time and be more dialed on that system for sure. Yeah, yeah, the, the thought of uh there's sometimes where a cold a cold Gatorade or something would be nice. We're we're looking for a half drink lukewarm bottle of water most time when we get back from coming back from the field it's like holy smokes but no i like like you said uh the way that we do it i i like it i mean and it's easy it's so easy we wake up in the morning get our stuff knock the knock the frost off everything and make some coffee and we're off and rolling and then it's when we're done at the end of the day and and beat it's like make some food throw out that canvas hit the hit this hit the sack so yeah i'm sure we could definitely get a little more organized or, you know, add a few perks here and there, but gosh, it's like at the end of the day, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know? Yeah, it's pretty slick. It seems like everybody adapts to it, you know, uh, fairly quick. Mm -hmm. Like even cameramen, they just kind of fall into place and like, okay, this is what <laughs> yeah. we're doing. Like at first you're like, now where are we sleeping? And, um, but, but yeah, our system works. I, it is nice to have cold drinks and good food in your cooler, like no excuse to go back mm -hmm. to town and then. We never th sleep at a hotel. It's like always, even if we're traveling across the country, you just find a little piece of public and then lay out and do it. And, yeah, that canvas is really quick when you can cowboy out. Of course, you run the danger of it raining on you and covering up in the canvas. You know, a sprinkle isn't a big deal, but if it's an all-out downpour, you're either rolling underneath the truck or setting up a tent at that point. And I did, you know, I did have quite a few nights this year where I had to set up the tent, you know, due to weather and get a good night's sleep. But, um, yeah, man, that system, it just works for us, man. We can travel, keep mobile, uh, uh, hunt different places because these units are so big. And it seems like you can't just pick 
it's tough to pick a centralized camp spot until you get there and start hunting and figure out where the critters are. And that being mobile mm-hmm. just gives you such an advantage. Yeah, yeah, it does. And and that's like say this year, you know, a couple of the places that we hunted, we we'd never been before, so we didn't know if we were in the a spot or what and you know we were bouncing around you in one spot me in another dan and another you know and so it was having a base camp would have been totally not to our advantage you know so we just would meet at get a hold of each other at the end of the day and pick a spot and then you know yeah we went back to the same spot a few times but it was just advantageous to have something light easy throw it out and then just keep moving so yeah, it's a good system, and, you know, it's pretty funny. Like you said, the cameraman, they, they just adapt. I think Kobe, he had all these big plans of getting up in the middle of the night to take pictures of uh, so the stars or something like that, and I just we looked at each other like, dude, it's going to be like three degrees tonight. Let's see if he wakes up out of the canvas. <laughs> <laughs> when, you're, when you're frost covered at, at two in the morning and it's three degrees, it's a little hard to get out of bed, but no, it's – it's all good. It's pretty fun. Well, also, we're just hunting so hard, too, you know, so you're double-digit mm-hmm. miles per day, and um, you just grind in these guys, so normally where they'd have extra time to take some night photos, they're just trying to get some sleep to be up at four in the morning to do it all over again, like we um, we push pretty hard, but yeah, they they adapt in quick, and other guys that I hunt with, like hunting, hunting with the um, Australia guys this year, uh, they started rolling that system and really liked it, like it just, it just flat out out works for sure it's a good traveling system and and everything you need and then um man it's just like getting in good habits on these hunts too it's like waking up early enough you know for us guys we like a cup of coffee in the morning it's not necessary and you can go without and we surely do some mornings but nice to have that cup of coffee and that kind of wake up and then you know i like to get all my stuff ready for the day so when i'm when we're truck hunting you know, it might only be a morning hunt, but I better have some snacks in there. I better have, you know, some liquid, you know, better have, you know, and then I've got to make the determination if I want my scope or if I'm going to bring the 16s or what I'm going to bring there. And most of the time deer hunting, I'm bringing my scope and even elk. It's just nice to know what you're going after. I, I hate the extra weight, but man, you can just see what it really is, you know? Yeah, totally. I, I battle that every single morning i wake up it's like the scope is just so nice it saves your legs in the end really i mean it's so worth it the extra weight could save you you know an extra three miles on a deer or bull that just maybe isn't quite what you're looking for you know and it's just so nice to have but no i still every morning it's like gosh when i have a big big hunt planned or something it's like do i really want to pack this thing and i i could probably carry a little bit lighter scope but it is so nice to have. I know, and it's um, you sit there and you wonder every day, and it kind of depends on the country you're hunting, the terrain, where you're going to be hunting. A lot of times, elk I can get away with no scope, and it's so nice to hunt light, you know. And especially elk, if I'm hunting them in thick timber, you know, I won't touch that scope, and it's six, seven pounds. But yeah, man, I mean, I start bringing the good camera, I start bringing the scope. I mean, honestly, my day pack gets up to 25, 30 pounds, which is ridiculous, you know. It's just putting so much wear and tear on me. 
Um, you're right that it does save miles and effort, and you'll it's inevitable. When you don't bring that scope, you're going to have a mule deer at a distant terrain where you just can't quite tell. In fact, this last trip, I made a late-season rip. Man, I'm getting down to the end of my season. I'm still hoping maybe <clears throat> we can squeeze a couple days in, but I made this late-season yeah. rip. Uh, Janus killed a nice buck, which was super fun. It was like negative 15 below with the wind chill that day, <laughs> just gnarly. And uh, he executed yeah. a good stock on this buck we found. It's the best buck we found. Uh, but um, uh, uh, anyways, like hunting this um, that late season, I didn't bring the scope. I brought the 16s. And inevitable, we sent Jay on this buck. And I look across, and man, I could see this buck, and he was by himself. And dude, it was really strange behavior. Like they, they it's definitely like post-rut winter range. Now, you may believe experienced some of this last year as you hunted this place later than i did but bucks are just worn mm-hmm. out they're running with other bucks yeah. i mean every once in a while you'll see some rutting activity by a young one or maybe a you know a buck if a doe crosses through he'll have interest but just really beat up and then you know just november weather has been tough on them down there. there's a bunch of snow and cold and things so um Anyways, I had spotted this buck a long ways off, didn't have my scope, had climbed all the way to the top, didn't have my scope, had the 16s, and man, I could just barely, it was just like, man, what is he? And the one three side, I could see he had a huge front and a huge back, and I'm like, man, is he a a three-year-old three-point that's still growing, uh, like spindly horned, or is he five, six-year-old three-point that's a big, heavy, gnarly one, like the one we want to shoot, you know? And I just couldn't quite tell what was going on. Something was funky. And so I ended up just glassing for Jay and watching him execute his spot, his stock and his shot and then going down to help him. And um, so anyways, but Sean got on that buck that night, kind of passed some information. Hey, there's a buck up here, you know, above where you guys are at, you know, if you want to take a hike up there. And so. Um, they, he went hiking up the top and then brought back pictures of it and he brought pictures of it and, you know, it was a, it was like a four year old, but it was right on the line. It had that big three side and then the other side just had like really crab clawed front and back. And I, I trusted my instincts Hmm. that it wasn't a big shooter for me. And so I'm glad I didn't go for it, but man, I could not tell I was back and forth and hemmed and hawed and, you know, it was a pretty big go, but if it was a buck that I was stoked with, I definitely would have made it and gone. But yeah, it's just like, and so in that instance, I was like, man, I wish I had my scope. I could just tell what he Mm -hmm. is, you know? Totally. Yeah, totally. And, and if it's, it's like on that range where like the 16s or the 15s just won't pick them up quite right. And that's usually that distance where it's like, that's a, that's a, that's a serious go to get over there. Usually, you know, like if you're in that 15, 16 range in the binos and you can't quite tell, it's like, you gotta make you, that's a hunt that you gotta make now. Like having that scope would have, yeah, good thing you trusted your instinct. That's legit. But no, the uh, back to what you were saying about traveling light and day packs and that. Like this, uh, this elk season, I ran a couple different packs, and you know, the bigger the pack, I would always just inevitably just put something extra in there that I didn't need. You know, whether it be too much water or a little bit more food, whatever. Well, I was doing so many miles. I decided I finally, you know, hunting by myself. I was like, if I kill something, I got to make multiple trips. So I'm just gonna go grab a pack that I could take out, you know, a couple back straps and a tenderloin or something with. 
And oh my gosh, the cutting down on my pack size. I mean, this thing was like damn near a school backpack. I mean, nicer than that, but it was fit inside (laughs) my shoulders, you know, like just small and compact. And what a difference. I mean, even just going from, say, you know, like the Everly Stock or the Stone Glacier that I was running, it's like even just compressing down that pack size and going super light. Oh, the amount of effort that you're able to put forth even more is incredible. <laughs> Sorry, I choked on my words there. Um, yeah, um, so you actually went to a super small, like, stocking pack, like hunting pack that would yeah. move with yeah. your back and be compressed to your back and weigh nothing. And then you just bring the essentials for the day and go with that yeah. pack, right? Yeah, yeah, like the bare essentials. You know, I'd bring, like, my kill kit, 32 ounces of water, uh, a game bag. And yeah, just that's it, you know, and I wouldn't even hardly run any food, but I always just find myself breaking the the cardinal sin, the, the, the rule that I always make. And it's like, don't drop your pack, even when you're elk, hunt, you know, especially when you're elk. Hunt. And I don't know how many miles I wasted this year by dropping my pack just because. I mean, gosh, I'm not a very big guy anyway, so it's like you throw an extra uh, a big pack and 25 pounds on your back. You know, and it's like you don't feel as sneaky as you should, you know. And so, yeah, I went with like I think it was a mystery ranch. I don't even know what it what the name of the thing's called, but it's just itty bitty. You saw it when we were out deer hunting, but yeah, it was so killer. And I think hunting solo, it's like if you have to make more than one trip, typically, you know, to pack meat, it's like I ha- always had those bigger packs in the pickup. So if I did kill, you know, I could just take a little bit of meat out, whatever, and then come back in with that big pack and take whatever else I needed to. But I didn't get to uh, test my theory out, <laughs> but it uh, next year we'll give it a go. Yeah. Uh, well, you had a heck of a good season, man. You went on a bunch of good adventures. Yeah, you didn't. Um, this is uh, uh, you're usually automatic for a great big giant bull with your bow. And I know you were into him this season. And dude, it's just like it's so archery is so difficult. It's so tough. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to touch on that stocking pack. Like I think you're right. And I've played with this over the years. And I have the same thing. I have a stocking pack that weighs less than a pound that I can throw in my backpacking kit, and then I can hunt with that on and when you're bow hunting you're right you take your pack off or you take your shoes off for elk it, it's you're going to end up two miles from your stuff you know and so you're better off to find like a pair of tennis shoes or like a uh the zamberlins are killer you use those same saluth that i like that's my favorite shoe of all time like burly made shoe but you're better to find something that you can kind of stock with that's in between your socks and in between your boots that you can feel the ground yep. and like Sure, if it's really still and really quiet, you can take off your shoes for a muley stock. But for the most part, we're hunting in these shoes, and it's about slowing down. And then finding mm-hmm. this lightweight hunting pack like you're talking about. I've actually backpacked with them in there or hunted elk because you're you're right. That 20-pound pack, you're not as sneaky and the exertion it takes on you, and, and you do have to hunt elk with your pack on. And so finding this like little stocking pack or – uh, you know, I've got a day pack that I really like that moves really good with me that's lightweight that I can still get quarters out in. For me, that's like it's almost a step up from the one-pound pack. It's like a three- or four-pound pack that compresses really tight. And then you're right, like just trying to keep it with the essentials. And so, 
Dude, those image stabilizing binos 16s are like a good move because they're super lightweight mm-hmm. and you don't have your scope and tripod. Um, and then sometimes I'm an iPhone cameraman, you know, it's like if I'm not filming or something, it's like five pounds of camera, six pounds of camera. It's just too much. And you just, you enjoy it so much more. You're so much stealthier. And man, when you're with no weight, you can just cruise country, you know, it's so efficient. This, this lightweight assault on critters. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And, and that's, that's the one thing that's nice about elk, especially is like, I don't take the tripod. I honestly don't take that spotting scope most of the time, especially in the stuff I was hunting this year. You can, t- I mean, a lot of the stuff was a little bit different than what I typically hunt, but it was like, you were on them, you know, I mean, inside of seven, 800 yards. So it's like, you can, you don't, there's no need for a spotting scope. And it's, yeah, the first part of the season, I didn't run that smaller, uh, like kind of stocking style pack. And that second half of the season, oh my gosh, it was like I, I hadn't even started. I, it's like I hadn't even started yet. It was like I was so fresh by putting on that little tiny pack and just going, going, going. Um, oh, I'll run that forever now. I mean, it is, it's a game changer, but I do need to, I, I've used your stabilizing binos, but I need to get a pair of those things because those are truly an absolute game changer. There's been, there were so many times this year where like when we weren't together, Oh, I'd be busting butt, busting butt, and then come over a ridge and try and find a deer or, you know, try and relocate a, an elk or whatever. And through the timber and it's like, you're breathing so hard. Oh. And when you pull up those binos that you have, click that button and it's just like, Oh, it's, you could still be breathing hard. And that stuff is just dead still. It's wild. But yeah, those are, it, to go along with my stocking pack for next year, I got to get on the on that stabilizing game, get a pair of my own. Yeah, those things are a game changer, man. I know you used mine on the one trip, and I think you dang near outglassed me with those sixteens, <laughs> which was pretty wild. Or I'll say half and half, but yeah, you were you were picking yeah. up critters everywhere. I don't know it. It was probably sixty forty you, but yeah, yeah, those things are just having that that stable image. It's like. Every mm-hmm. ridge you go over, it's just like having your binos tripoded up. So those things are a game changer. And, they're, dude, they're going to come out. They're going to do – they they're redoing them. So they're doing 10s, they're doing 16s, really? and they're doing 20s. Dude, I almost had the prototype oh. of 16s, and I answered his question wrong. Like I'm in with those SIG guys, and they gave me a rangefinder yeah. to test, which was killer. And, uh, you know, so the, those guys – like every time I talk to them, I'm like, dude, what a game changer. Those binos you came up with. And so – Anyways, we were talking back and forth with the rangefinder, and then um, you know he was talking about the image stabilizer, and he said they have three prototypes of the 16s, and uh, like alluded to if I wanted them, I'm like, yeah, I would love them, you know. And then he asked me if I carry them around my chest, and I answered the question wrong, and I said no. And I use them all the time. I just put them in my pack, oh, and then I use no. the 10 buys yeah, on my yeah. chest. It just works better for mm-hmm. me. But I answered it wrong, and then the prototypes never showed up, and I'm like. Ah, oh, dang it. I, I should have told him I'd carry him around my chest. I would have used him a bunch, but I am stoked oh, to yeah. see like the 20 power ones. Like, dude, it's going to it's going to do away with the spotting scope. I can just carry those things. Yep. That's uh, when you said that, that's the first thing that came to my mind was I would I would leave my spotting scope 100 percent. I mean, most of the time. My spot and scope is pretty good now where I can, you know, zoom it in and, and it's still has really good clarity. But most of the time, uh, just on pure recognition, you don't need more than 20 power. You can you can 
figure out if he's good or not or otherwise with a 20, especially with those image stabilizing. Oh, that's so dynamite. Are they coming out with those next year? Do you know, or are they just going to test them? I'm hoping they'll be out this year. So I'll, uh, uh, I'll put a bug in those guys here, but yeah, you got to get the, get the new ones, you know, and I guess they've got yeah. a, like another thing as you're looking through them, you can like hit a button or hit a switch or something as you're looking through them. And it'll, yeah. it'll fix on that image, like be a, a stopped oh. image or something, It's um, which would be crazy. So, yeah, I can't wait to check them out. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's Technology is so wild anymore. I mean, with bows, glass, everything, Onyx. I mean, that one, the one elk that I had a really good opportunity at, it's just crazy, like, how accurate technology is, you know? It's like I used my rangefinder died. My, and so I was like, well, gosh, he was a little bit too far for me to actually just know, no. So I checked on Onyx and I mean, Onyx was damn close. I mean, so close. And all of tech, just technology across the board is incredible anymore. I mean, it's, yeah, talk about a game changer. I mean, even, even looking on satellite imagery, I do it a lot. Like say when we're out there hunting or like going to go make a stock, you can literally put that thing on 3d and or hybrid and you can pin where that animal's bedded it is absolute that is just absolutely mind-blowing to me it's i mean i wouldn't say it's cheating but it's just so wild yeah you're so right hey hold on one second no. Okay, sorry about that. Um, no, no worries. Uh, dude, you're so right. The technology portion of it, like the the Onyx, like you were mentioning, marking where that buck is or where that bull is, the exact spot, and then you have that spot marked on your stock, and also taking a picture of it and the whole deal. And and you're right. Like we call it sometimes we call it cheating when we find something that works really <laughs> well because there is mm-hmm. a bunch of technology. But the other thing is too is like. The, the animals are obviously adapting to hunting pressure and, and they're, you know, they're evolving in the same way as they know how to avoid hunters and they know how to detect hunters. They know that we're after them. And so, you know, the the hunting game has changed as well. And, and you do have to draw your line with technology. We're such bow guys, but we're also using range finders and binos. And I think it's just like finding that difficulty level that really challenges you. And I know, you know, me and you are so hooked on bow hunting because, you know, a lot of different reasons, the adventure, you know, a lot of it is the challenge. Like, um, it takes complete dedication to your craft to become a good archer and execute on animals. And then the stalking game, like really trying to get close, but you know, somebody could draw the line even further than we did using traditional or using recurve. But Mm -hmm. you know, it's like the, the the common thought is is like um you know i'm i'm gonna use the things that give me the best chance that are legal and also ethical and you know to me like i say i've got image stabilizing binos i've got a a range finder with the battery i got a bow that's super accurate that has all the newest technology but 
it's still so difficult, isn't it? Like even yeah. having all these advantages or all this modern technology and having all the best gear and me and you, you know, have, have lived, eat, slept and, and, and breathe bow hunting for the last, you know, for me, 25 years, you know, I, I date myself a little bit more than you, but still <laughs> it's like, um, you know, it is still difficult where I find myself on these hunts and they're just, man, it's so tough to get a perfect arrow in a critter and have everything go right. And I find myself like the, the challenge is still there for me that, that, that demands complete dedication to my craft and working in the off season. I know, you know, we try to keep in touch throughout the year. I know you had like a monster workout a couple days ago and you're constantly working on your fitness. <laughs> like you believe in the ethos of constantly yep. working at your craft. And so, you know, you're working on your shooting, you're working on your map research, studying areas, thinking about tags, you're working at the gym, you're working on your cardio, like all this stuff, it does take this 365 commitment. And I still find myself wanting to be better. I get on these hunts, it's like, man, if I was just a little bit better on my stock, or if I was just, you know, man, that shot was just off, like I, you know, our last hunt together, I missed that, that buck where I got a, a long shot at him, and, um, you know, I, gosh, it, it wasn't off by far, and I executed a good shot, it just missed the mark, but it's still, I just find myself, like, one percent better if i could just still find that improvement or work you know my mental game just being stronger like um you know i guess that's what having passion is is having something that you love so much and want to improve at that you want to spend as much time doing it and i know you feel the exact same way as i do man oh yeah yeah and like for me this year was you know it was it was actually perfect for me it was it it was everything you just talked about I mean, putting in the work, shooting your bow, thinking about it every day. And like in this year for me, you know, it didn't pan out and technology, whatever, you know, all these things that we just talked about aside or to our advantage. And I live, breathe, sleep the whole deal bow hunting. And I honest to goodness had one of my best seasons I've ever had. And I ate more tags than I have in. Oh, my gosh. I can't even remember. I mean, honestly, but. You know, I was I was pretty, you know, it, none of us want to go out and to a hunt, elk, deer, antelope, whatever, and none of us want to come back unsuccessful. I mean, that's not the goal. I mean, yes, you want to go out there and have a high-quality experience, have an adventure, but at the end of the day, you want to come back with a notch tag and a bloody arrow, you know. And this year for me, that wasn't the case on a lot of them. Um, I was looking for an exceptional bull that I got a chase, you know, which was fantastic. At the end, when I didn't punch a tag, was I was I bummed? Yeah. But, you know, after season's over, I look at it, and you talk about the ethos, and it's like I start to break down every little piece of every hunt, every opportunity that I got. And it's like, you know what, dude? Like, if you want to look in the mirror, yeah, I put in the work. But it's like, if I'm really breaking it down, did I push myself to a whole nother level to actually get a kill? a 370 plus inch bull like did i actually do that or did i do what i typically do you know and when i'm being realistic with myself it's like you know i pushed myself but i pushed myself just as as normal as i always do i didn't do anything exceptional uh to get to that next level and so this year in in like in my eyes now like yeah i was super bummed but now i look back on everything and it's like you know this is the best thing for me because now it's time to go to a whole nother place and live live this bow hunting lifestyle to a whole nother nth degree 
because I've got to get better. And like you say, 1%, it's like, you know what? Like, yeah, but maybe, maybe Dylan Ness, maybe I have 2% I can get better because I'm not to that X degree. You know what I mean? And it, uh, this season has been, this was the coolest thing because now I understand. And like you were talking about that workout the other day. It's so funny, dude. I was reading that Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me. I've started reading a bunch. Oh my God. And I felt like I was just so soft. Like you read that book and it's like, oh my God. So that workout I was doing, I went so hard on squats and cleans, just talking shit to myself that I text you, I think at four in the morning or whatever, dude, I had a migraine from hell. My, my neck was all jacked up and everything, but it's like, went to the chiropractor this morning, I'm back at it. And it's like, just want to live it to the fullest because nothing's a guarantee out in the woods. And I'm, I'm a true believer that you've got to earn your luck, you know, and success just doesn't happen by chance. And if you want to have exceptional results, you better do some exceptional stuff, you know, put in the the extra work. So yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and it just makes me even more hungry. You know, it's like every tag I know, I'm sure you're the same on these hunts that we go to. It's like, it's not necessarily the ones that we're successful on. I mean, yes, we accomplished what we wanted to do, but I think about the hunts that don't pan out my way more than I think about the ones that do, you know, every little detail. I know we were talking a few weeks ago. The one thing I'm so confident in my shooting that this year, you know, I missed a couple shots um, that were, that I was told I executed perfect. I would take them again tomorrow. But then when I really start breaking it down, it's like, you know what? Could I have got 10 more yards or could I have got five more yards? Could I got three more yards and gotten closer? And that's kind of what I'm going to start taking into these next hunts is when I get to that spot to where I'm like, yep, this is me. Can I get just a little bit closer? Because the closer, I mean, you shrink that distance down and your percentage, every yard that you get sneak a little bit closer, your percentage of arrow in that, of that buck bull, whatever, just keep going up, keep going up, keep going up. And I think, uh, that's one of the aspects that I'm going to take into this next season is just as I'm about to say, yep, yep. This is, and sometimes, you know, those longer shots out West, it's like, yeah, we have to scroll that thing down a little bit and, and take a shot that we've shot a thousand times that year. But, also, I think we're, you know, to the point we're skilled enough where it's like, hey, yeah, we probably could get to that next juniper or, yeah, we could probably get to that next bunch of sage. And that and that shot now becomes a dunk, you know, man. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, dude, you're so like, uh, you know, first off, like one of the best bow hunters I know. And um, gosh, you just like uh, I love how you've transitioned you know, you college athlete and you've transitioned this work ethic and this way you think about hunting and the way you prepare for it and brought this to you. It's like, dude, it's the, it's the next generation, the next level of hunters. And it's one of the reasons you're as good as you are is it just doesn't stop, you know, and you had a great season. Um, you know, you arrowed an antelope and had close calls. And like you say, it's not like you're looking to kill any mule deer or any bull. We are looking for the upper echelon, but you're right in that our goals is to have a bloody arrow and to, you know, make a shot on the target critter that we're after. And, you know, for you to look at your season and, and really be this, 
you know, have this this uh, this judge or this uh, authentic talk with yourself. This like really look at it and break it down and go, man. I had opportunities on elk. It didn't come together because of X, Y, and Z, or I could do this better. Or to look at your season and say, you know, I did the same standard. Like I want to be, I want to have exceptional results. I want to put in an exceptional effort. And, you know, it's like, um, I know you put in exceptional effort, but to look <laughs> at it that way and to go like, dude, I'm capable of more, you know, my, my body can do more. My mind can go more and to really look at it. I mean, for me, you know, like this past season was, you know, trying to manage and juggle too many things. And I didn't have the time or the, the, the freedom of mind because I had so much going on. And so I need to adjust as well. And, and, and also like I've fallen off my great life routine where now, you know, everything I'm so uh, dedicated to getting this house done for me and my family, which sucks to be like a, uh, so material driven. I mean, it's not, it's like building this better life for me and my family, but it's, it's taken this focus and also at work, like, you know, trying to make an extra zero on my paycheck or whatever, taking too much work and then having too much stress during hunting season. And so, you know, I've like lost this balance in my life and, you know, I still got to work out in this morning. I'm still running, I'm still maintaining, but I'm not pushing. And I kind I like miss that. I miss that life of mine. Like I just got caught up in hunting season and I was trying to hunt every free moment and now trying to get this house done. And like, I mean, this is honestly probably the longest stretch I've gone without shooting my bow. I just don't have a good spot at the rental. And, you know, sure, I can take the effort and get it set up. And now that I'm talking to you, I probably should today. But I want to chase this with renewed vigor, you know. And I also mm -hmm. want to find another gear, hunt wilder places, push harder, do more miles, uh, do more to improve my skill set in this off season. you know, draw some good tags and then really have the freedom of time and um, uh, the, the freedom from stress next hunting season, like set myself up to have even a better one. But um, man, I'm with you. It's like um, seeing how we can improve upon this game or being exceptional. I love that the David Goggins book as well. He's got his new one out as well. And the audio version is going to be killer because he kind of talks with his writer and they kind of break down things after chapter. But I also, I read and listened to that other book that you're reading. Uh, just so motivational. Like that guy has figured out how to push his mind to a new level. And, and yeah, I noticed that same thing, man, as good as a season as I had and success that I had, man, I can be better. And there was some arrows that missed their mark. There was some hunts that I came back that, you know, I, I didn't harvest an animal that I could be better at. And so, um, man, it's like, um, we get a whole nother start to it, you know, to, to go after a new season and improve our skill set and, um, try to come in swinging next year. But dude, I just, um, like your mindset and your perspective of thinking about it and like really looking honestly at how you can improve. It's like why well, you're one of the best bow hunters I know, man. <laughs> well, thanks dude. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. But that's, that's what you got to do. I mean, you can sit around all winter and dwell on, well, shit, you know, I should have killed this buck or I could have killed that bull or this or that, but it's like, that ain't going to do a damn thing for next year. It's like, I've uh, the way that I've just, the approach that I've taken throughout life, you know, it's you just have to you just have to get back up take the good recognize what needs to be better and move forward with it and then rock and roll and just let that drive you now it's like now i don't dwell on god i had that built that big 370 bull at full draw four times like i'm not i don't dwell on that anymore it's like <laughs> i put myself i put myself in a position to kill him yeah. but you know what now i know what i need to do better and you. it's like 
could I have killed him a couple times? Yeah, looking at it now, yeah, I probably could have. But mentally, uh, I would just was wasn't in the spot that I needed to be in. It's like now I can work on that too, you know, and and go back to just being full blown kill mode. So I don't know. It's just it's cool. I love it. And, and the the one thing that's what I was telling my wife the other day. I was telling Jeannie, I was like, you know, my my favorite day of the year is opening day. You know, like when we when we get to lace them up and go out there. As far as the hunt world goes, that's my favorite. My second favorite day is the very end when everything's closed and it's like okay. Now it's time to go after everything again. Like this year, great, whatever. Take take what you want from it. But now the slate's wiped clean and we get to do it again. Like that is my favorite. And and through baseball, basketball, all that stuff growing up, that was I was the same way. It's like I loved the journey. I loved the start. I loved the journey, but I also loved the end when you can look back and you can say, Okay, this is this is the body of work I put together. How do I get better? And that's the only way that I can look at it anymore. And and, and uh, I never really looked at hunting like that, but uh, it's it's my passion and it's what I love. And nowadays, it's like that's the only way to go about it for me. So no, pretty awesome. But yeah, well, it, and uh, I need to get my life back together. We go so hard for hunting season, <laughs> like so many adventures and things, and like um, yeah. It's just you're uh, managing so much chaos that there comes a point in time where it's got to got to shut her down a bit and like uh, get some responsibility mm-hmm. done for sure. You know, we both work throughout season and um, keep up on. But yep. there is a an ending time and the time to improve is during the off season. You know, the time to improve all these skill sets and come in next year. Like you say, one percent, two percent, maybe come in five percent. Who knows? You know, it's Oof. like really work on a guy's skill set and mindset yep. and approach it uh the correct way and there's no limit to how good you can get at this game like i just continue to improve you know it all like there's so many different facets that go into it and i know you do too like there is no limit to how good or how efficient or what size critter whatever the case is you know wild country miles elevation like i i think there's i know that i have more to give and you do too you know so there really is no limit to to what can be achieved out there man it's it's super fun is it like to find your passion in life and something that you truly love and you're willing to work hard at you're willing to to have discipline around and really drives you to be better at all these things in life like like that's the gift man it's just having the passion Oh yeah, that is the gift. That is the gift, and and the, also you ha- just have to recognize that, yeah, I'm fortunate enough. This is what I love to do, you know. And so that also, like you're saying, getting our lives back together after hunting season, like yeah, oh my god, my garage was, you know, let alone work, but it's like my garage was just it just ridiculous. But it's like after hunting season two, getting all your stuff back together, you know, doing extra things for the, for the family or this, that, and the other thing, getting work back in order, you know, it just also feeds the ability to go after our passion, which is, you know, bow hunting, because once you get that all back in order, then it's like, okay, like let's go on the next adventure. Like once everything's dialed, it's so much easier to just chase the wild things that we love to go chase, you know? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I love what you said too about, um, you know, you're shooting and how like you're a, a really good shot. You've honed your craft at like execution and execution on animals. 
and you talked about it a bit about like getting an extra 10 yards and uh, I love what you said there like the I I had that same realization too where it was like um you know out west you never know what you're going to get or it's like a lot of it is reading situations but you're right and sometimes you become a good shot and almost rely upon it and go okay I'm close enough I can make this shot and you're taking <laughs> a shot that's such a high degree of difficulty on uneven terrain and longer distance uh, that there's more room for error. There's more variables there. And so like your point that you were making is, is like instead of getting into that, you know, whatever it is, 60, 70, 80 range and going, okay, I'm going to kill this thing. And then like having something that can go wrong or the arrow doesn't quite hit its mark or something. You're talking about like getting this different mindset of like really getting yourself in the 40 to 60 or the, you know, really yeah. getting that extra 10 or that extra 20 to give yourself the best chance of success. And so the closer you get, the higher your odds go up. Of course, an animal can always jump a string or things can, can happen happen but the closer you are the higher percentage of kill that is now the closer you get uh your stalking percentage will go down like the closer you have to get the more animals you will bust trying to get into range but if you get really good at using that terrain and stalking and reading the situation of what you can and can't get away with there's no reason if you can get to 65 that you can't get to 55 in most cases yeah no exactly and and along the lines of that where I think I this is this is my whole point of I need to go to a, a different level and it, and it helps mentally too I think and this is almost more mental than anything because like I'll get to those outer limits of my range where I mean when I draw when I bend the limbs back it's like in my mind it's like yep it's this is it you know he's a, this is done but like say I don't know I got plenty of examples from this year like say my buck in Nevada um, sitting on the, that deer forever and then that doe comes down and kind of blows things up well they spooked those bucks didn't know what what had happened well i ranged him and i was like yep and sent it shot over the top of him real i mean like you said a, a tough degree of difficulty steep downhill longer shot and it's like you know what if i would have just said nope like nope i'll let him go and let him wrap the corner or do whatever he does maybe they've worked back up into the shade that they were already in because nobody knew i was there besides the one doe and it's just taking being confident in the fact that nope i'm gonna pass up that shot yeah i can make that shot but i'm gonna pass up that shot for a higher probability shot that's closer or maybe i have to go stock them again and put in more effort to get into bow range again you know maybe i have to cross that go down at 1200 feet climb 1400 and find him again and then go back and do it again but if you're in a good mental space, that's what I was thinking. It's like, you know what? Yeah, I could do that. Like that is no thing. You know, um, there were some mule deer, you know, out in that open country that we hunted that I settled for a little bit longer shot. And it's like, dude, you could have just kept playing the game with them. Like you could have kept playing the game and, and closed it or, you know, let things kind of work out. And maybe he chases a doe a little bit closer to you, you know, maybe instead of 68, he ends up being 48, you know, I mean, game over, you know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I think it's so, you want to be so confident in your shooting and your shot process and being able to, to take longer shots if you need. But I also think that, it's one of those deals where it's just, I think I'm going to start relying on, you know what, I can, I can get inside of, of X range, you know, whatever it may be, 60 to 80, whatever I can get inside of that. I've done it 
a ton. I mean, all the animals that die all the time on the regular. I mean, I always think about that too. It's like, you know what? They're probably 42 to 57, you know what I mean? They're, they're in the wheelhouse. So no, it's, uh, I, I agree with you. It's just one of those deals that it's until you sit back and look at it, uh, you don't really take it into consideration. It's just click them. Yep. They're dead. And you know, but at those longer ranges, wind drift, thermals, all sorts of stuff can happen. Man, it sure can. That that Nevada hunt, man. Um, you talk, <laughs> dude. You went for it. Like um, uh, that stock you made on the buck across the canyon is such a big one. Like that's another goal is just like having this mindset of going anywhere for him and being able to hunt that rough, rugged country really effective and efficiently, and then being able to move your camp to other locations within inside that range. Like just being able to cover more country than the average or even the elite can like that's that next level mindset and to you always know these hunts are going to be tough you're going to go to places the bucks are not going to be there they're going to disappear you're going to have to move like you're going to have to make these hard decisions and um just trying to be better mind and body to make these good decisions to continue to push hard to get it done and and i love what you're saying love what you're saying about the mindset like you're talking about continuing to play the game on these animals so we learned this a long time ago hunting elk in one of our favorite spots and i know you learned this lesson with me it's like uh, uh, that's what it, it teaches you over there is to keep the element of surprise and continue to pay the ga- play the game. And it's amazing, mm-hmm. like how many more opportunities you'll get when you, when you push to get into critters, but you don't push to failure. You keep the element of surprise no matter what. And so you get frozen a lot and the herd's right in front of you. And maybe the bull's out at a hundred yards and the cows are out at 70 and you've got no move to make. Or if you try to make a move, you're going to blow the whole herd up. So instead, you let them feed over the ridge, and then you make your next move. And you may have to readjust five, six times trying to make a play on these elk, and eventually it'll come together. Or if it doesn't, you know, like this year, I hunted the same bowl three different days that I hunted him, and I just kept the element of surprise. I never busted him in it or his cows, and it just wouldn't quite come together. I'd get close. I'd be in the timber. He'd be moving. He'd be on the other side of the cows, but I just wouldn't give away my element of surprise. Like, I held that in the highest regard, and and when hunting, you know, we always talk about, well, I haven't spooked anything. Like, I haven't jumped anything. I've been good at catching them, and, you know, I definitely jumped some animals I didn't see this year. Like, that last mule deer place we hunted together was really tough because you know, a lot of the country you're hunting is two to 500 yards away from you and these deer were so switched on that you make one mistake they catch it you know and so you had to be really good at glassing every feature you walked over not overexposing yourself like you had to mix in this still hunting ability and this ability to run this mobile vantage point and be better than these bucks and catch them before they caught you and it was tricky and it was tough you know but um, I, I think what you're talking about, keeping that element of surprise, like I know this year keeping it on elk, those elk would keep in that area. Therefore, I could go back the next evening, the next morning, the evening after that. And you give me that many chances at bulls, I'm, I'm you know, probably going to get it done on a nice six point, you know. And so I think I want to uh, evolve 
that as well as like really keeping the element of surprise and you have to get really comfortable inside bow range like getting into range is one thing getting a good shot with a good angle is another thing and you have to get really comfortable with being in close on those bucks and on those bowls where you feel confident they're not going to see you they're not going to pick you up like you just like you you evolve these hunting instincts to make sure you're stopping and you're not skylined or you, you don't have a silhouetted image you you know when to hold still when things look at you and you know when to recognize that that animal doesn't see me that he's looking through me or like animals are on alert they caught something i've got to you know like whatever i've got to try to get a shot here whatever the case is but just getting uh -huh. better at that really getting comfortable in bow range and i was really proud of myself the elk i killed uh, was inside of 50 yards for five minutes and just never quite gave me the right angle. And it took him walking away and me cow calling to finally get the shot a good quartering away. But I was really patient. Same thing on my moose. Like he was sparring with another bull and in range for quite a while, but he was like this quartering towards angle. And I really waited for that broadside angle and just trusted that those animals didn't pick me up. They didn't know I was there. I had the element of surprise. When you have the element of surprise, you, you have, you have everything in spot and stock bow hunting. And that's like your mule deer too, where you talked about taking a long shot at that buck, or instead you could let him get around the corner and then go play the game again and keep the element of surprise. But you gave up the element of surprise to try to make a mm -hmm. long shot at that animal. I'm not saying you did anything wrong or anything like I, I'm sure I no, made, no, but, but, totally. but yeah, instead no, totally. you would rather not lose that arrow, let that buck go around the yep. corner and then go try to find him again. Or like you talked about, you know, losing the, the 1,500 feet and gaining 1,500 feet, which is what you had to do on the stock, and then another 1,500 feet to camp. It was crazy, <laughs> dude, the stock that you went for on that buck. It was really going for it, like, next-level uh, mindset to look at country and be able to go that far. But you had mentioned, like, going back over to the vantage point, relocating that buck, finding him the next day. If they don't know you're hunting them, like, you will get another chance at them. So it's just, like, letting these things play out and progress, too. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right, and that's the uh, the element of surprise is so huge. And I mean, obviously, I mean, we don't want to let them know we're there, but it's so huge. And being comfortable inside a bow range, the one the one elk encounter that I had that I look back of that could have been it, you know, and it was early on. It was after I'd been full draw on this one bull multiple times, had embedded, but the next day. I was kind of antsy because, you know, in the moment I was like, good Lord, like how in the world did I not lose an arrow? Well, then I got on another good one and then I got inside a bow range, right? And he had six, seven, I think he had seven or eight cows actually. And I was inside a bow range. He's inside a 60 and he's milling around through the timber and I couldn't get a shot, couldn't get a shot. And, you know, I got impatient inside a bow range and I'm like, I need to, I need to, I've this, I literally thought I need to create an angle here where I can get a shot instead of just letting things transpire, letting him do his thing. Well, sure enough, I go to back down and come around and there's a calf right next to me. And it's like, if I would have just held tight, let him do, you know, it may or may not have worked, but at least I would have kept the element of surprise. I probably would have recognized that calf that was over my right shoulder, you know, and think I could have kept playing the game, but instead I got impatient in bow range and it didn't work out. But I, I love that. The being inside a bow range, it's one of the hardest things to do not only to get there, but once you're there to feel comfortable in that situation. I mean, like that, the Nevada one that we were talking about, I was perfect. I was so comfortable and then it got blown up, but then that's also a situation where, 
hey, when things go awry, it's like you better have your stuff together and have a have a plan for that. You know, I mean, hey, if the, if this gets blown up, you know, grab your composure real quick. And it's where I didn't. I was like, oh, this is my shot. Stop. Turn around. But uh, no, I couldn't agree more with you on the inside of bow range. And that's I think it's vital. I look back on a lot of different critters that I've arrowed and like say even like my antelope or that bear that this last spring I was in bow range forever, you know, 46, 37 yards. And it's like the more comfortable you're there, that shot just happens. You know, that animal stands up, turns broadside, puts his head down to feed, and it's like, boom, there you go. And and you're rewarded for being patient and feeling just at home inside of the red zone. Yeah, I love that saying that patience kills the buck. It's so true, man. Patience is such a virtue, you know, it's like in in, in the right times, like there's a time to move and a time to be patient. There's a time for everything. Like you almost have to react to the situation like you're talking and that buck that that you're speaking of. I know that you were like 30 yards away from that thing and you could see his 27 and he was bedded right in front of you and you had a doe come down the ridge that saw you that then blew up the scenario on you. And then the buck ran out and stopped. So that's the scenario you're talking about. But I'm the same way. I have instances this year where I made mistakes that could have equaled a next level buck that I was chasing a really big one in the early season that we were calling 190. I don't know if he was, you know, 195, mm-hmm. 185, what he was a great buck and he was in full velvet. And um I spotted him a long ways off, like a few miles off, you know, or two, three miles off anyways, uh, as the crow flies, you know, but I could tell mm-hmm. what he was. I had my scope. And so I saw him kind of go into this basin and bed down and it was like, well, I got to give myself a chance, you know, I've got a good wind and I just got to go see what's going on over there. And so I trucked all the way over there and I was already a couple miles back and, um, you know, got all the way over there and I got into the spot and I see him on the hillside and I'm making moves and making plays like I should. And then I come up and I see him at 120 or so and he's diving from left to right over the ridge and disappearing for me. And I've just got one little move and he's going to be in bone range and I make my little move and he should be 50 right there and I pop mm-hmm. up and nothing and I don't see him and I can see quite a bit around me. And it's like I just know there my instincts are telling me to freeze. And so I sit there and a minute goes by, three minutes goes by, five minutes goes by where I'm sitting in this spot where I should be in bow range of this giant buck that I'm hunting and I'm just frozen, you know. And so and then I start thinking I get impatient. I start thinking oh, you know, me and Dan are going to move areas, which Dan doesn't care. Dan knows I'm hunting. Dan will go find something else to hunt and go do his own deal. But you know how you start to talk to yourself in Mm -hmm. your own mind where you're like, oh, I'm supposed to meet Dan after the morning hunt. We're going to go change areas. This was our plan is to hunt this one more day. And I found this big buck like, oh, I should just, I should go over this next rise and just see if he's there, see if I can catch him. And in my own brain, I'm having this in internal like uh uh dialogue with myself where i'm almost arguing with myself where it's like oh just see if he's over the next little rise and i'm like then i'm thinking no the right move is is to wait right here because i know if i take any more steps i'm going to expose myself and he's going to bound off i should back out of this i don't know where he is is and i should come back this evening and hunt this buck keep the element of surprise and instead this impatient 
you know, Brian like got like won the argument in my head that oh, I'm just gonna check where this buck is and then I'll go meet Dan and whatever. You know, it's like we're moving areas anyways, and it's like here I took this opportunity at a 190 inch giant that that I would do anything to be able to harvest, and here I just like throw caution into the air. Oh, let's just flip a coin and just see if it happens, you know, and like. So I take like four yep. or five steps forward, and he's right behind a tree in front of me and bounds off with his buddy. I blow him up. He stops on the ridge at a long shot, get a range, draw back, nothing there, let down, and then he bounds off and never – well, we actually chased him again in the late season. But uh, the point is is I got impatient there, you know, and I, I, I mm-hmm. knew and I – my actions didn't reflect like my inner knowledge or what I know a mule deer, my instincts. Like I let it override me, the impatience when I should have just hiked the six miles out of there and hiked back in that evening, or I should have stayed all day. There's a number of things that I could have done, could have done right. Uh, but instead I chose the impatient, the aggressive way. And I knew it was the wrong decision and I blew him up. So I like, I like got what I deserved on that. But you know, you gotta be better <laughs> when you get those opportunities at good critters. Cause they don't come along every day no you're right and i think you and i have talked about that uh that like internal conflict that you have in your mind sometimes uh like that chatter especially when you go for a a a big stock you know or or like a move like you were making there where he disappeared over the ridge and you have to make kind of a blind move on him and it's like when you get there and it doesn't happen right away you know there's all those thoughts going through your head of God, did he hear me? You know, did the wind swirl this, that, or the other thing? But it's like that in those situations, it's almost better. And I mean, because I've been victim of them so many times, you just have to like fight the urge to to peek around the corner, or like you said, throw caution to the wind. God, I've done it far too many times to even count. But it's like when that uh, when you have those thoughts of gosh, when it doesn't happen right away, you know, did he smell me? Did he hear me? Did he booger out? But it's Usually your instinct of, hey, this is the move I need to make. This is where he's going to be. A lot of the time, it's right. And it might just not, you know, that shot might not happen right away or or you might not see him right away. But usually if you can just trust your initial instinct in my in from my experience and obviously yours, too, it's like it's going to pan out more times than not rather than. You know, like I do half the time, you know, peek around the corner or take a look too soon, like to make sure he's still there, you know, and then get caught. It's like I'm getting better at that. But that's one thing that I'm sure a lot of guys think of. It's it's just that internal chatter in your mind. Like, well, did he smell me? Did he hear me? Did he, you know, but you got to fight the urge and just believe in your initial instinct, I think. Mm -hmm. That's good insight, Dylan. Um you you have to when you're making a stock you have to trust that he's still there your mind will yep. make a million excuses of why he left or why he's not there it doesn't like a, a give it your all on every stock and every stock when you're closing in believe that buck is still there until he's not believe that bull is still there until he's not like uh like you're talking a million different times over i've thought he's gone and i rush over the hill to look and i i bound him out of his bed or, or jump that bull and he's right over the next rise so it's like um it doesn't hurt anything to believe he's still there on every stock believe he's still there give it your all be stealth creep to the spots 
it's not going to hurt anything. The only thing that's going to hurt it is if you rush it. And um, I, I also think on stocks, like, I don't want to be the one to screw it up. I'm going to keep the element of surprise. I'm going to move slow. If that buck moves off before I get to the spot where I'm going to shoot, so be it. I'll keep playing the game. But I'm not going to rush to that spot and then blow them out of there because I went too quick or too noisy or whatever the case is. So I, I think it's good to just always believe he's still there until proven otherwise. Yep. Yeah. I wish, uh, the perfect example of this, I wish I would have had the video camera when we were sitting on that Ridge in early season, when you killed that, that big buck, uh, that stock you made, uh, was the epitome of everything that we just talked about, about believing he's still there. We, we spotted that buck or you spotted that buck. We sat down and you spotted that buck right away and we got to watch him for like five, 10 minutes. And we saw him disappear into that, uh, that thick patch of, like scrub brush or whatever it was and he kind of disappears and holds up it seems like he beds there you know i'm sitting up on the ridge kind of watching over things you go make that big stock and you stocked perfect stock hunted through where we thought he was and somehow he slipped down a cut and i see you stalking through that deal and i'm like waiting any second to watch you draw back and you're just hunting him like he's still in the spot well you hunted all the way through and you're like huh he must have moved and i'm sitting up there like <laughs> dude i think he's there you know he's somewhere right in there i couldn't see where he went down well and then your your ability to this is another part of the stock like if we're going to talk about stocks and believing they're still there if you hunt it through and don't he's not there you know he's not there then you have to have that ability to relocate in the middle of the stock to relocate him again and that was i wish that was from my view i wish i could have videoed that because that was epic you backed out with the with the camera guy backed out and relocated that buck that wasn't even in the same vicinity he was down the mountain tucked away and you ended up arrowing and killing that buck that was probably yeah that was one of the that was like one of those aha moments like yeah that's how it's done like hunt them like they're still there and then oh okay he's not there you know got to relocate him and you relocate that was yeah that was an incredible stock i mean when we were talking about that that just popped into my mind because that is literally the epitome of everything that we were just talking about as far as stock like they're there and then you got to relocate them and yeah arrow them that thing was that was killer that was dude that was one of the nastiest stocks i think i've ever watched not to mention it was on a gutting 48 degree slope uh, dude uh one of the highlights of my season for sure like um being able to share the hunt with you up there and then we were both chasing that buck yeah you gave me the stock on him down and through that deal and yeah just trying to make it count and do it justice he was a great heavy buck and um yeah, it was wild from my perspective. Yeah, I went to where, you know, I stalked him in the morning bed. And one of the things I loved about this stock is we had a wind when we were sitting on top. And it was at first light. The sun just came over the hill. And mm-hmm. um, usually we'd choose to stalk this buck in the afternoon. We had thunder showers that were coming in like bad that evening, which are going to mess with the winds, mess with the thermals. I knew where this buck bedded, and I made a call on the wind that down where that buck is, by the time I get around him, the wind's going to be coming up the hill. He's in a good location. You know, mark my land points. And so hiking over there, the wind was wrong the whole time. And I go over the top, and the wind's still wrong. And I just had this belief that if I – 
get down off this ridge, I'm going to be getting uphill thermals. It's like using this knowledge that we've gained over all these years of hunting. And so I believe what the winds were going to do, and I drop down, and, man, they're right in my face. My wind checker is just, like, <laughs> nailed it, you know? Like, an hour and a half later, like, nailed the wind, or hour, 45 minutes, like, whatever it is. And then I go down, and I get next to that big rock face that I've got to go down and wrap the corner. Right when I get next to that big rock face, it's all shaded in there, the wind starts coming down again. And I just, like, had this knowledge of, no, I'm just behind this little block of the thermal wind. I'm in this shady spot. It's dropping. I'll get around the corner, and it'll be screaming right back up. Went around the corner, and it was screaming right back up at me, right like it should be. And then as I close in to where I thought that buck was fairly open and just stalking and and stealthy and trying to take a step in glass and trying to move at that ultra slow speed and as i move over to where he is i just can't locate him anywhere in there and so yeah have to cross back down and figure out where i think he went which was down you know in the thick cover like i gotta get to where i can see that a little bit better and then you know start making moves picked out him or his buddy in there and then picked out the bigger buck and then able to readjust the stock back around the ridge back over to where he was and then he was just epic he was laying there and got up out of his bed and um Gosh, after I shot him, he rolled wow. down the hill and the whole deal, just like this great, heavy, older buck. And um, and and what a wild place to kill him. Not The stock was all time, but that mountain range is all time. And then, you know, that backpacking adventure with you guys is, is just the ultimate, you know. The, the only thing would have been better is to, like, see both of you guys close out, you know. But um, it was tough in there this year, that's for sure. Yeah, it was tough, but now I shoot had had a chance had a chance at the at the one I wanted so it's like gosh at the end of the day in a place like that I mean on a year that's maybe a little bit tougher you know if you have that you made good on the one opportunity you got and it's like I didn't quite make good on the opportunity that I had you know it's like what else can you ask for if you if you tell me I'm going to go on a hunt and I'm going to get an opportunity at a buck that I'm super happy with but I'm only going to get one chance I'm going to bet on me every single time, you know, and at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out, I can live with that. You know, it's just one of those deals, especially, <laughs> especially when you're hunting with COVID and you cramp at about 30 or 2,800 feet on a 3,600 foot climb. Oh my God. Thank God for good friends. Oh man. Uh, uh, I, dude, I about, di- I about <laughs> died on that hike in. <laughs> uh, I, I felt for you. It's, um, Dude, it's one of the toughest mountain ranges on planet Earth, and where we go is all off trail, and it's straight up, like Dylan says, 3,600 vertical feet or maybe more. And, um, yeah, uh, uh, we all ended up catching COVID after that. I'm not sure if you brought it into camp or if Dan did or who did, but um, – yeah, oh, we God. were grinding up that hill, and um, dude, it was a weird scenario. Like, um, man, it you're in as good a shape as anybody. You're top one percent, and you know we we ran together in the off season. And then I hunt with you, like you're just an animal in the mountains. There's nothing that can stop you. But it was a weird scenario where you where you had COVID, and then you started sweating at the bottom. Not only you, we all did. It was so muggy in the in the bottom, like so much humidity that we were honestly pouring it out like we were in a sauna or in a steam. It was just pouring oh. down. We were all soaking wet. 
and we're grinding up this hill with our 50 pound packs or 45. I, well, I, yeah. I was 45. I think you were 50, but, uh, I was probably 50. Yeah. But, uh, grinding up this hill and yeah, like I've, dude, I've never seen you go man down, but yeah, you started to cramp up and, um, oh. you talk about mental toughness, like your resolve to push through that and get to the top and get over to where camp was. And also super impressive how your body recovered from it. Uh, but yeah, you started cramping up and, um, man, it's like there's nothing you can do. Like I've had altitude sickness or exhaustion sickness where I pushed too hard, too fast, living above 13,000. Like, you know, it can take out any of us, even the most fit, even the guys that train all the time. And, yeah, you cramped up. But, man, you're resolved to get that last 1,000 feet. Oh, my God. You do. You did everything you yeah. could do to get over the top. But I've, I've, uh, I've, I've never seen you quite like that, man. <laughs> I've never seen myself quite like that. My Lord, dude, that was, uh, well, I don't cramp usually at all anyways, but like you said, we were sweating so bad. I mean, I literally, I had a, I had a green hat on and it looked black because it was so much sweat and sweat was dripping off my brim, not dripping, running. And dude, when it hit me, I mean, and, and I mean, you obviously, but it's like, a guy could climb on all fours up this mountain half the time. I mean, it's not like, yeah, it is steep, steep. And, uh, yeah, there was just no way I wasn't going to see over the top, but it was so funny when we got to the other side and I'm, I'm like half dead. My legs are so locked up We're then we got to go down another, what, 800 feet, 600 feet. And you're, you're leading the way and we're all, we're all juiced up. Yeah, camp somewhere down here. And I'm like, oh, this looks like a good spot. I'm like hobbling. I'm like, okay, dude, where the hell is camp at? Oh, my God. I can't go another step. Dude, I swear it's somewhere right in, a, in over here. Oh, that was so funny. Oh, it gave me, gave me a little mental relief. I was laughing. But God dang, I was wrecked. You recovered good and hunted hard. But, yeah, oh, my God. We walked down that hill, and it's my um, – <laughs> It's typical when you're hunting with me is I've got no pin saved of where I can't like this is all just off memory and I've hunted 10 spots since I've hunted this spot. And so like I know the mountain range well I've got it all memorized in my brain but we get down there and then it's like oh yeah it's right over this bump it's down in here somewhere and we hit about three false camps before I finally found the bench I wanted to camp at and Dylan was ready to kill me. He was just uh, uh, was hurting pretty bad coming down through there but yeah man it's a brutal place it is like at the mm -hmm. edge of of what a human can do those climbs and those miles and those huge canyons and um dude it's uh you gotta have your big boy pants on to hunt that place and man it could happen to all of yep. us at any point in time and the number one thing is safety and making sure that you come home and hunt again but you did uh you recovered really quick and uh oh, hunted yeah. really hard for the rest of the hunt but yeah i've never seen you in so much pain man that was um <laughs> that took some mental strength just to get in there jesus yeah, yeah, there's there's easier places to kill bucks, but that's that's part of the adventure part of it too. I mean, what a special place. I mean, every every which way you look is just a picture frame, you know. I mean, yeah, I absolutely love that place and can't wait to go back. But yep. yeah, well, dude, we got to get some um, good adventures on the books here for this next year. And in the meantime, uh, let's go chase some big brown trout. Huh? See where we're at on those things. <laughs> I like it. Let's yeah, do it. Right on. Well, uh, really appreciate you, man. Um, thanks for jumping on, and yeah, we'll um, keep in touch. Yep, sounds good. Appreciate <laughs> it. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Again, um, just become really good friends with Dylan, and uh, uh, you know, I try to state it on the podcast when I have feelings or uh, respect 
around somebody and what they do, and so I try to let them know. And I I definitely um, uh, definitely respect Dylan and uh, look up to that guy, man. He works really hard at his craft, and he's just a great bow hunter and great insight into bow hunting and into bow hunting our public lands. And so um, just really appreciate that guy always willing to jump on a podcast, even if it's just a day notice. He's the best. Uh, so that's why we become really good friends. So um, thanks to him for jumping on the podcast. Thanks to you guys for listening in. And uh, again, thanks to our sponsors for supporting the podcast. Uh, couldn't do it without them. And so, um, man, I just really appreciate these companies. If you guys are in the market for any of the gear they provide, make sure to go check them out and uh, see what they offer. So uh, Everly Stock, Cryptech, Matthews, Savage, Sig Sauer, Zamberlin, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Cutter Stabilizers, Forever Barnwood, Onyx Maps, Outdoor Edge, Stone Glacier, Swagger Bipods, Vector Custom, Black Ovis, and Camo Fire. So thanks to those guys and thanks to Eastman's for their support. Uh, all my crazy ideas, the the uh, podcast, the, the filming, the writing, um, uh, public speaking, uh, also, um, you know, being willing to think outside the box with things like the Mule Deer School and, and uh, things of that nature. So really appreciate those guys and look forward to connecting with them here in the near future. And uh, this will be the last podcast of the year. I didn't quite get that solo done, but uh, I promise I'll get better here. It's just uh, uh, absolutely no free time. So um going to get this house done and get in it and uh, get my life back here. I can't wait. And um, thanks again to you guys. Uh, you guys are the the reason why this podcast rolls on, you know, as uh, your connection with the podcast and listening in um, to these different conversations. This is why the podcast survives and why it's made it seven, eight years or however long we've been doing it and uh, will continue to thrive is just because of you guys spreading the words to your buddies and then listening in each and every week. So um, really appreciate you guys. Make sure to come say hi at the expo. I'll be around. I believe Eastman's has a booth. I believe we'll be with Cryptech. I'm not sure where we're located, but make sure to stop in and come say hi. I'll be recording a bunch of podcasts there, which um, will be nice. Uh, put me a little bit ahead, which is always a good thing when I've got um, good recordings that are uh, sitting waiting to be released. So um, it's always a good feeling to get a little ahead. So that'll be good for me. And um, We'll get some good guests on there, and there'll be live podcasts, so should make for some good recordings. I believe we're trying to do a recording booth this year, so should make for high-quality audio as well. Um, so really excited about that. So yeah, we'll we'll get out there here in a couple weeks, hoping to have the house pretty well wrapped up, but uh, you know, I'm not sure if I'll quite be there. It's You never want to put a finish date on these things. They're just hundreds and hundreds of hours, uh, man hours of work to get them done, and um, I've got a lot of the big things, big items checked off the list, but I know uh, there's still a lot of work to get done. So speaking of, I better get this podcast out and go get to work and go get something done. The nice thing is, is it's winter time. We've had a heck of a winter here in Montana, which has allowed me to work on my house as I can't get to, to some of my projects. So that has been a good thing and made things go a little quicker than uh, I'd planned, which is nice. So, um... Thanks, you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for the good year. Um, man, let's make 2023 um, a, a great year for all of us, and that's uh, uh, personally, work, um, family, 
and um, then also our wild passion of hunting adventures. So uh, it's going to be a great year. Thanks, you guys, for listening in. And, um, man, with that, that's a wrap. Um, Check in with you guys next week.